My name is Elizabeth Lewis, and I'm the owner and CEO of Detroit Mom. As a teen mom, I know firsthand the feeling of isolation and the fears that come at different stages of motherhood. I spent half the time wondering where to find community and the other half dreaming of a way to create that community for myself and the women around me. No mother should experience change and challenges alone. I created this community and podcast to make sure women in my community are never alone. Welcome to the Unfiltered Mom Podcast. The intention of this podcast is to make sure you have a voice and your story is being heard. Hi, everybody. Hi, Detroit Mom fam. It's your crew. Elizabeth couldn't be with us today for getting comfortable with the uncomfortable. We are soldiering on. Erica, Crystal, Kanisha, and Tumkeen. We are going to continue our conversation about microaggressions that we started, what, three weeks ago, I think. I don't want to say we will finish the conversation because it should not ever be finished, but we will keep it going. So we were thinking about, just to kind of recap, because it's been a few weeks now, or if you didn't watch the first one or listen to it on the podcast. So we're talking about microaggressions, but let's define what that is. I think the definition that we worked off of last time was this one from Google. A microaggression is a term used for commonplace daily verbal, behavioral, or environmental slights, whether intentional or unintentional, that communicate hostile, derogatory, or negative attitudes towards stigmatized or marginalized groups which is a really long way of saying it's those little things that happen daily or very frequently that are offensive to people from marginalized groups, whether someone means it or not. An example that we talked about fairly at length before was that I know for me, it's the whole, you're so articulate. You know, when people tell me I'm articulate, that that's not a compliment to me, even if they meant it to be. But that that's something that people say to people of color and don't often, I mean, just for doing basic things like giving a presentation or talking on a Zoom that they don't necessarily offer to their white counterparts because it's right. almost like expected that I wouldn't sound this way. That sort of thing where like people don't realize what they're saying behind what they're saying and how it can hurt somebody. Tomkin, you didn't get to be with us last time, but I know in our like conversation, you had shared some examples of microaggressions that you face. So I'd love to hear from you about that. So for me, it's funny because a lot of people expect that I don't even know English. So I get a lot of, you know, so especially when there's like a lot of like racist um, comments being um, thrown at me. I mean, I'm not even talking about like a microaggression type thing, but this is all like wrapped up in like a big ball here. So they'll say something and then, and they think that I don't know it. And then I'll turn around and I'll say, excuse me, um, did you just say that to me? Or did you just say that to my kid? And they, like, they're like, oh, oh, you know, English. So it's like, it's like, it's got layers. <laughs> it's got so many layers in there. Right. And so then I'm like, yes. And then I turned around once I remember turning around to my, uh, to my daughter or with my sister or something. And I said, wait till they find out that I'm actually a writer as well. Right. And so it's like, it's not only that I speak English, that I can write English and that I'm, you know, that I'm a published author in English or that I, my English was my major. So it's like, I think that would make them go into a frenzy. So things like that, a lot of times I get feedback is from people who don't think that I was born or raised here. I come back, back from home and I'll get comments like, where are you from? And so then I'll say, oh, I was, I'm from Canada. And they'll be like, no, where are you really from? So I'm like, well, if you're talking about my parents, you know, they were born in India, right? And so, so then it's like, it's almost like they don't know where to put me. You know, it's like, it's like, I don't know where you fit. Like, and my brain is going like wired because you're, I don't know what you're, where you're from. And so I think what people have to realize is that almost all of us, none of us fit those pegs that have been predetermined by some people along the way. And we, we just don't fit in there. And so we decide who we are and your behavior and your slight comments and those little, you know, innuendos and stereotypes that are wrapped in a meaningful way or they're trying to be nice it just stinks of historical hatred and right. anyone who is being said even a child even my five or six-year-old child even my eight-year-old or even me growing up I knew 
when a microaggression was being thrown at me from a teacher with a smile on her face. Um, like we just know it, it and, and, it, and we don't know how to describe it, but we can smell it and we can sense it because our body tenses up and we, we feel like I just got, I got smacked with a smile and, and, and I can feel it. And my children will be the first ones to say it. They'll be like, mom, I said, and so what I've taught my children is you have to speak up. If you have to let them know that, hey, and right in the spot, in the moment, at the end of the class, you got to say it. You know, that comment you said about all Muslims, not cool. You know, so things like that. Slapped with a smile. That's one of those tumkins, like, someone write it down. <laughs> so I, I was literally just like repeating it in my mind. Like, that's that's a trademark. We need to trademark that tumkin. <laughs> because that's absolutely what it feels like because the words where are you really from there's nothing mean about any of those words mm -hmm. there's nothing inherent about it that should be offensive or hurtful but it's how it's used and who's using it and who they're using it toward that makes it a microaggression the fact that i don't think anyone would ever ask it's elizabeth like, where are you really from yeah and i was gonna say it's almost like not where you're from but kind of like you don't belong here right yeah you're certainly not from here so right. Mm -hmm. Right. And then the people go, no, that's not what I mean. Or I, I don't mean to be racist. And I remember, uh, and I had written a piece about this and I say, let me stop you right there. Because <laughs> if your subconscious is telling you that it's going to be a little bit offensive or racist, mm -hmm. stop right there. Yeah. Then most likely than not, it is. And I will think double, like, I'm going to think you're really racist because you said that, right? Because you stopped yourself, thought about it, heard it and continued. You continue. I'm not, I'm not racist, like but... <laughs> yes, but because you felt yourself to be so mm. important and almost like the other person's feelings didn't count, that what mm. I want to say and what I feel is far greater for me in importance and relevance than how I'm going to make you feel about it. Mm -hmm. And you know, the where you're from, I mean, I think, and I, we probably talked about this before, I think a lot of Asian and South Asian communities get that a lot more than I think Kanisha or I would. But I don't remember if I told this story, but my husband and I got, we did a destination wedding in Jamaica. And I think a lot of people do destination weddings. I hear about them in Mexico all the time, but there were several people that when we told them we were getting married in Jamaica, that would, that said, oh, Erica, are you? No, it's just a vacation spot. But no one ever asked Jason, my husband, oh, that's the first time I said his name. No one ever asked him, oh, is it because you're from there? You know, like, or when people, when two white people get married in Mexico, no one says, Oh, are you from there? You know, just it's exotic, right? Right. Mm -hmm. and so it's like, ooh, the, I love the people. It's so exotic. The colors, you know, it's it's a whole thing. So, like, because I'm brown and I went to a place for right. vacation that brown people live, I must be from there. Like, why don't you think I'm from Missouri? Because I am. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just yeah. So it's like the sort of things that would you have asked that to someone else? Mm -hmm. Right. No. Or like when you speak English, like, do you speak English? That's a good one too, right? Like when someone's right. like, not even not to the ask, they ask in slow, loud voice. Do you speak English? And it's so, I remember say, when they used to speak to my mom that way. And it's like, I can feel my body tense up right now because it's so triggering because it meant like, it felt like, are you just calling my mom stupid? Because that really, that's what it felt like. It didn't feel, because them talking slow, is not going to make my mom understand. She already understood what you what you said. If she re asked to repeat you, you know, she asked you to repeat yourself, then you can go on and ask, say that, right? But I remember as a child looking up and thinking, that lady is is making my mom feel stupid. And 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 she's basically, and my mom would say, I've been in this country for 12 years or 15 years. And they're like, oh, but don't touch. Like they, she would literally tell my mom not to touch the merchandise. And I'm talking about a big department stores. Or my mom would say, can I see that diamond ring in that, or that, that watch? And they're like, let us help you. What is the range? Like they wanted to know whether or not she could wear it. And I, I would remember, and I was in fifth grade, I was 10 years old. And I said to my mom, I said, mom, we don't need to buy it from her. She's like, but I, I came here to buy this ring. And I said, I, we're not going to buy it from her because she does not make you feel that way. And my mom used to say, no, don't worry. I've lived in this country for so long. They always treat us that way. And I said, but it's not right. Right. You know? <laughs> And you don't have to stand for it. Right. If someone treated me like that, I legit, I literally was just talking to my husband like this. Was, we have to get a new phone. And I called the store and I didn't like the way the guy was acting. My husband's like, why don't you go to the store? I was like, I didn't like his tone. So I just called right. customer service. 
<laughs> like, that would yeah, like to someone, any place. Yeah. yeah if someone talks to me in a certain way I'm not even gonna like honor right. that they're gonna like want to do business with me or or whatever it may be you know what, Tumkin, I you mentioned car dealership. That makes me think too, you know, microaggressions aren't always racial, but I think car dealerships, you hear about it happening towards women. Yeah. You know, if I go look for a car by myself, like, well, when's your husband coming? Yeah. Or, you know, I've heard of people like getting a door-to-door like solicitor and it's like, well, what time will your husband be home to talk to him about the thing? We're going to a mechanic. Like that's right. a big one too, right? Like women going to a mechanic, like they'll try to like, do you even know what this is? Or you need this, 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 and this, because I mean, to be honest, I probably don't know what they're talking about, but that doesn't mean that other women don't know what right. they're talking about. <laughs> like making assumptions. Like I well, just- It doesn't mean that I you don't. can't learn, right? You yeah, can't just, like, exactly. Talk. You can learn on the spot. Like, you know, yeah, let me, in mind. yeah, let me do some research real quick, but you're not upselling me into all this other crap that I don't need just right. because I'm a woman. Yeah. And you know what the other thing they do also mm-hmm. is like like if you walk into like a, a great big luxury type of uh, dealership, mm-hmm. they want to know like because of they're wondering whether or not you have the money, right? Yeah. And so they're 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 saying these things almost like like I said about the lady, like don't touch the merchandise, like don't even, you know, like don't dirty it, basically, right? right. Do we want our brand? You to be driving our brand? Do you want? Do we want you to be sporting our you know our our store merchandise? Mm-hmm. Do we want our name to be plastered on? on your body like it really you can these are little microaggressions when you know or they don't want to sit you sit you next to the window right because they don't want to see that person sitting at the window representing that store that restaurant that 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 cafe so it's it really it's so many levels to it and those who go through it they know it they sense it it's hard to describe it sometimes because that that definition is great but what that feels like inside our heart, inside us, when we are faced with it, it's so guttural. Like you just, you, it, it irks you at, an, at a really deep level. So I'm curious when, because like you're saying, those of us that have experienced microaggressions have experienced them our whole lives. But I'm curious to know, there's probably a, a year that someone could identify of when that term came out. And I'd be curious to know that because it put a name to it, where before it was just like, oh, that. That didn't feel good, what that person no, we, said. Like, it was racist, it was racist or it was sexist or it was, you know, hateful. That's what we would call it. Right. Or you would be like, should I have been offended by that? It's just, they only said mm. this small thing. You know, one of my other most pop, one that I experienced probably the most in my life, not just childhood, but would be when, I mean, because I've always hung around primarily white people because of, I think, where I lived. But when people would be telling a story about something scary that happened and they'd say, you know, there was this big black guy hmm. and his blackness had nothing to do with the story, but they're implying like someone that was scary. Hmm. And that's something that always as growing up and even not, well, not now anymore because I'm spicy, but would be like, <laughs> I mean, they didn't say a bad thing, but it didn't feel right. And like, it'd be so hard to label where now with the language microaggression, I can point it out, label it. My son can cry. Hold, please. It actually says that it was coined by a Harvard medical medical school psychiatrist in the 1970s, but I feel like we're using it more and more now with I don't know. Whenever terms gained popularity when George Floyd exactly this happens, a lot of terms came to the surface, and then we started using them a lot more. I, exactly when when George Floyd was murdered and everyone thought DEI is now the thing to do is when you started hearing it more. Absolutely. And, yeah. Nope. You're one hundred percent right on that. What's your favorite? Sorry, I'm looking to see if there's any comments. I don't know. It's such a. I'm just. I'm still back on this question of like, when did I? You know, like you said, it was probably when George with George Floyd when these like mm-hmm. things start. But I'm like, when did I start? Just even hearing Tom Keen, like, I'm like, was anyone like that to my mom? You know, because mm. I do remember her getting the like, oh, you speak English really well. And then she'd be like, you know, they teach English in grammar school in the Philippines. Like, <laughs> you get, you have your, you know, your whatever region, you know, there's so many different dialects in the Philippines. The main one's Tagalog, but, you know, she also knows Ilocano and then, and then also English. So I'm like, in theory, like she's learning three different languages as a kid in 
for people to not know that or even to just assume that she wouldn't know. And I mean, I even remember one time my mom used some word and none of the, my brother, my sister, my dad had never heard that word, but it was a real word. And I was like, oh, this, and she was like, it's on the crossword puzzle. And I was like, I was just like proud of her because she's just using these big words. And even we didn't, you know, being growing up in America and having that American education. I'm like, look at this lady using big words around, you know, when I was, it, it's, you know, but like just even saying that I'm like still back in there going like, oh gosh, did my mom ever feel that way? And she probably did. And like, oh, like that just still gets me like, just anyone would say something like that, like, oh, or, you know, but it is, it is that. Just and you know what, I find it funny that people thing. think that if you speak with English with an accent, that somehow either you're uneducated or that you don't know anything. That's... And I remember having this conversation with my son because my husband does speak um, English. And I said, don't you think for a second, just because you speak it without an accent that, and someone else does, and that was like someone of his cousins or from my, like from my husband's side of the family, I'm like, because they're, they're killing it because they've got their own language that they know, and they have this English language. And just because they have an accent means nothing except for the fact that they have an accent to it. But the fact that someone thinks that if, you know, you know, I remember a few years ago when there was a lot of stuff that was happening at restaurants when people were speaking their language of some you know like a family a latino family speaking spanish at a restaurant they were being told off or arabic or anything like that there was there was more cases that were coming out in the, in the news and stuff and i remember like the people they'd be like talk clear english talk clear english and it's almost like like as though that's a pass and if they did then that means you're good enough and mm -hmm. if someone was spoke with an accent or god forbid have an immigrant background of some sort or refugee or something then it's almost like you're not even human. You're like alien, you know, like the, that mm -hmm. term that people like to use. Okay. Well, what about the other, you know, American people who have accents all across the country? Oh, it's it's, it's not even like, European though. If it's a friend. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. We just let it slide, don't we? Right. Oh, you have a Southern accent. You have a what Western. We have a Midwest accent. Like, right, right, right. We say things like over enunciate for some reason. <laughs> I got Canadian ones, so I'm like, you know, I'm saying yeah. out and, and about, and so people are like are like your your T's are on point, so you know, just slide. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it is it's so huge too that everything that's European, regardless of its otherness or how foreign it is, is treated it's as great. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's you know, it's considered intellectual, right? British English. Oh my God. Like I mean, I don't even even thinking about when people use so talking about a microaggression when people use the term ethnic. Because mm -hmm. like the word ethnic just comes from ethnicity, which everyone is yeah. some sort of ethnic. Okay. Everyone has an ethnicity, but the four of us are considered yeah. ethnic and mm -hmm. our white sisters are not. No, yeah, they still country. have ethnic hair care products. Sign. Absolutely. You know, over. Mm. Mm. Or people mm -hmm. love like my ethnic skin tone. What are you yeah. talking about? You have an ethnic yeah. skin tone. And don't oh you God. feel like yes. when you hear that word ethnic, like it, it's so heavy? Like when yeah. you said that word, like there's something that comes yeah. up in all of us. Like it, yeah. it, it, it has this weight to it. Because, yeah. and that's what like the microaggressions, I was comparing it. And when I was thinking about it as um, I was comparing it to the, the term, the phrase death by a thousand cuts, where like none of it's big, none of it's worth writing over, but all day, all the time from every source, it's heavy. And you know that like when it's a microaggression, people, it doesn't mean what the, what it says at the surface, you know, ethnic is not a bad word, but it's used in such a weaponized way that it's just like, that's what it is. It's weaponized. The words are weaponized. And the, even the news, we all will sit down and watch the news, but the way the news is spoken to different channels and different places and different reporters and the editorial news and all those stuff, you know it, like you can't put your finger on it, but the words that they're being used and the way they were saying, especially like, I, I remember when the, the whole Ukraine situation was happening and people were comparing that with when the Syrian refugee situation was happening or the, Afgh the Afghanistani people refugee situation was happening and how there's such a change. And even the reporters, they were using these words, like it's not like it's like a different country where, you know, these are mostly white Europeans who are being displaced. And I'm like, did they just say that? Like on the news where there's children watching with families and you're blatantly saying it and people were nodding along and saying, okay. Yeah, it's wild. And the, yeah, so um, most of, I feel like the microaggressions are things that people just think are okay and let slide. 
and they don't understand why it's conjuring up the emotion in you, why it's making you feel like, you know, what's bubbling up to the surface of like, but I said nothing wrong, but you did because it's historical. It's embedded in history. It's embedded in, in, in a long history. Of, so of, let's talk of, about that. Like, why does it matter? Why do we want people, why do we want the Detroit mom community to be aware of this? Why do we want them to know how it feels? Hmm. I want them to be able to recognize and be able to learn to change the way you are thinking, change the way that you are, you might not think bad thing or what, what did you say earlier, Tumkeen, like, like mean good or think that it does no harm or anything like that, but it actually is. And I know that we're going to talk a little bit about like, these are some things that you can do when you've been, if I call you out for doing a microaggression against me to like educate yourself, I have some, I have some ideas that I'll share. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but like recognize it. Don't get offended if I call you out on it. Like, okay, own it up and let's have a hard conversation. Well, on you, it's a hard conversation. (laughs) It's not a hard conversation, but it might be, but you know what? I microaggressioned someone and I felt so bad after my husband called me out on it. Like, and I didn't even, so I felt like such a, can't swear on here. We went to Mexican restaurant a couple of weeks ago and it's like a little local very authentic place by us like I love it it's so good like so good it's a little little like a little taco cart in in a little next to a market it's so good and like when I was ordering I didn't even realize and I just started exactly like you said to them team I started talking slower like because he was he was looking at me like he didn't understand. Look, me just defending myself, right? Okay. But I started talking slower. And my husband's like, you know, you didn't have to do that, right? That was so rude. I was like, what? What are you talking about? And I was like, gosh, beep. I was like, oh my gosh, I feel horrible. Hmm. Like I felt so bad that I was that I was doing that. Like, so something that even though I'm working on myself every single day like something still embedded in me by this Western, westernized European society that I did it to someone else. But then I realized it and felt like utter poo-poo after. And like, but now I like keep thinking about it. But some people don't do that. Some people don't keep thinking about it. They'll just keep doing it. Right. right. Oh, defending it. Worse, mm-hmm. even defending yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Defending it is like a right, and it's almost like it's like mm-hmm. what you say doesn't matter because you guys just complain about everything anyway. It's like you know, yeah, so, yeah, which but, is its own microaggression to like yeah. deny my microaggression, right? right. Yep. There's just so many layers to it. Like I said, like I, I remember uh, opening this topic. I'm like, we might need like part five. Like, there's just, just so <laughs> many because you know what? It's it, like I said, it's 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 so deeply mm-hmm. affecting us when we live in a place where really we are in a no man's land a mm-hmm. lot of us where we're no one claims us and we can't claim no one right and no land will take us in and no land no land can we call our own because i come from india but but muslims are minority are considered minority they're not majority there in certain places i you know i grew up in like i just if i break down my whole thing it'd be like it's like minority floating everywhere and yet there is an identity in it right and mm-hmm. so when you and when you harness all of that in then when, if you're talking about someone who's like when Elizabeth, I was listening to the replay and Elizabeth was talking about like an overweight woman. I've, I consider myself to be, you know, for lack of a better, a fat woman. And I, and I have been for most of my life. And so even those things at the hospital and um, having my baby and people coming in and be like, oh, that cord won't fit her or oh, that, that arm thing won't fit her. It's not like, I'm, I feel, I usually tell my husband, I feel like, like I have no emotions here. I'm here in, you know, going through my labor and the women coming in and they're talking about, and they might be right. Maybe the cord that they brought in or the, 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 the arm thing for the blood pressure cuff. Yeah, the blood pressure cuff. So that was not going to fit me. But the way they would say it, and then they would take out three sizes and they would keep on doing it. And I, I'm here like having my pains. And then I'm here like holding it in because I feel like a piece of trash. Like, you know, you're not understanding when you're looking at me, you know, my weight, you know, me, treat me like a human being. I will tell you that this is the arm that you take my blood from because this is the vein that shows. And I'm telling you for the past 
40 plus years, this is the arm that everyone takes the blood from. No, you're gonna be, you're gonna poke and at me like I'm not a human. Oh, no, no, her veins are too small. Like, it's so deep rooted what people go through. And what I say, to answer your question, Erica, I want people to understand the weight I carry on my shoulders. I want them to understand when we write and we pen these pieces from a Detroit mom, those, those, those micros we make or those blocks, we are opening up our veins and pouring them out onto that paper. I want them to understand that there is so much weight we carry every single day when we wake up and we send our children into the world or we go out into the world and we sit in public places and we have conversations and we write pieces and we go on forums like Detroit Mom and we talk our pain. It is hours of tears and years of pain that we carry with us all the time and it's tough. And I, feel like I, don't, I wouldn't switch my place with anyone in the world. I'm proud to be who I am, but don't treat me like I'm second class. I'm as just as worthy as being here and existing in this city, in this country, in this space as anyone else. So when I say that I'm hurt, hear it. Oh, I mean, I feel like that's exactly, yeah. Like I feel like what I would want people to know about microaggressions is that the things that you say can really hurt someone, whether you meant it to or not. I saw the phrase recently that intent does not equal impact. And I don't know, I don't remember where that came from, but I feel like I need people to know that, that what you meant to say doesn't matter. What you said matters and how I felt about it mattered. And I just want people to do better. Like there's no reason that I should have gone 34 years experiencing the same dumb comments over and over again, mm. when people could just do better. Right. Where'd the growth? Yeah. And I know too, like we had talked about, so this month is, we're in May. So this is AAPI month, Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. You guys said it's also Jewish American Heritage Month. So like, you know, I know that like we have Black History Month in February, we get the shortest month, but then yeah, like folks have, are having to combine months the fact that we even still need months at all like all of that is some of those like environmental microaggressions like why for all of asia and the pacific islands to be we got one month <laughs> for sad. how many countries how many countries is that it said far east asian southeast asian east asian and then the pacific islands too so that's a whole lot of countries. Can oh, I just tell you, even ah, just for East Asia itself, how many countries there are? Mm. The people don't understand. It's not just China. There's like, right. there's China and Japan. That's like at the corner. And then there's like, whew, yep. like there's just yeah. Philippines, Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand, Singapore, um, Cambodia. Like there's just open a map, look at it. And you'll see that this is like a vast land and it's all harnessed into one month. Thank you. Like I'm trying to think of what my friend from Taiwan, her heritage might have to do with Crystal's heritage from the Philippines. Like this is two vastly different stories. Yeah. How is one month supposed to do that? And then in the Southeast Asia, there's Bangladesh, there's India, <laughs> there's Sri Lanka, there's Pakistan, like and there's Nepal, there's there's like we can go on. Like I can, like we can go on over here. The focus gets put on what's accepted as the popular Asian culture, which is, I think, right? I, I mean, I think that's safe to assume. But um, at the same time, the government's probably like, be grateful, you got a month. Mm. The biggest thing you can acknowledge this month is the fact that, uh, that this month is not big enough. Yeah, so, um, none of it is right. Like the fact that we still need these things. Right. I want us to still have heritage months. Yeah. Until we don't need them, but till such time as that, yeah, let's until, keep having them. Until it teaches everyone how it needs to be incorporated in the everyday. Right. Like Black History Month is American history, and so therefore it should be integrated into all systems at all levels. 
right? And so alongside with the great heroes and the peoples, and then there should be that part where they're like, yes, and this is, comes into Martin Luther King should not be just celebrated a day where everyone knows the speech, the kids all talk about the, about the dream that they have, but what did that dream speech bring into your life? Like, how did that come into your life now, so many years later? And if it still hasn't, and it's just still one day, if it's still one, one month, then we haven't done the part. Like the education hasn't happened yet. And same thing with this month. Thinking about heritage too, reminds me of one of my favorite environmental microaggressions that happened all throughout school. Sometimes it'd be a project and sometimes it would just be a conversation, but when they would get into name meanings and where is your name from, like your last name, because a lot of, if you're European in like in heritage in America, your surname probably does say where your family came from. But if you're a black person, an African-American person, your last name likely came from the people that owned your family. Mm. So when people ask where, you know, like, oh, your last name, what's the heritage of it? Like, it's British, but that has nothing to do with me. That has, like, when my ancestor got free, they took the name of their former slave owner. So this is a really great conversation to be having in school. Mm. You know, just that sort of thing where, like, no one thought about the fact that a a conversation about last names can be really triggering for people. Right. And that it's not the same experience. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of talk I do lately too. We've been talking about um, on the teams I'm on about you know this name justice, like even things of saying someone's name correctly, right? Um, not assuming how to say their name. That's a huge microaggression. Like right, and then repeatedly, um, like with kids repeated. too. Like with kids too, they'll be like, "I'm like, no, you correct people all your life if you need mm-hmm. to. If your teacher does not call you by the right name and you're not yeah. liking that." then you need to speak up and I, and I'll be right there with you. Like, I think one of the biggest take, uh, things that we can do as, as women who are facing this and who've got children who are going to go through the system is just be right there supporting your child. Your child knows that they can always have that support at home and the mom is willing to, or the parents are willing to listen. And then we make a little bit of noise, like go into the school systems, talk to the teacher politely, and we're not picking fights, but by any means necessary like if you need to like I'll I'll be there for you fight and and that support is something that I feel like as an as a daughter of an immigrant my mother was afraid to speak up in places she just didn't want that attention she didn't want to be in that place but I certainly have become different from that and what I would wish my children to learn from that is also is to take it to the next level and right on the spot tell the teacher hey and my son has done this Maybe you didn't mean to, but me and my friend here think that that comment was really offensive to Muslims and we didn't like it and it upset us. The teacher would say, oh, no, no, I'm, uh, that's not what I said. The text was saying this. So I was just repeating, he said, well, the text is also then wrong because we didn't like the what you said or shared in class. You have to understand as Muslims, we didn't like that. And she was right to her opinion, but she did understand after that, she was being a little bit more nicer and stuff like that. He said, and if nothing else, I said, even if she didn't change her mind, at least she knew that she was going to be called out for it mm-hmm. if she had to use those words again. And I know I need to be way better about that. It's only recent that I've become spicy in, or brave in my like calling people out when they say or do something offensive. And even still, I'm only doing it if it's happening live. So when I hear a story secondhand about something that happened that was offensive, I'm not going back to that person and saying, hey, I heard that this happened. Let's talk about why that's wrong. And I, I can we would have every right to do that. And that's just like still overcoming that, that fear of how, because it's uncomfortable for us who have right. been the, on the other side of the microaggression for it to be a victim of it. It's really hard to speak up, especially if you're a kid, right. if you're a kid dealing with grownups that said something offensive, mm-hmm. it's terrifying to try and call someone out. So you let it go and you know, you let it go for a few decades and now it's just, you give, you've given up. So I think you're absolutely right, Tom Keen, about teaching the kids. Until you grow up and you become an adult and then you realize how deeply triggering certain things are. Absolutely. And then you have to go back and think about all the stuff to categorize it. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about heavy, like you said, like stuff that we're carrying around thinking about that Mm -hmm. other people have never even had to consider. There's a comment, but... (laughs) I was going to read you guys the comment, but I don't actually think it's a comment, and I'm very confused by what it says, so I'm just going to leave it alone, because I'm like, but there is a day dedicated to MLK, so I don't understand what the comment is. (laughs) Can you see it? 
Oh, I, I don't have it up. Seeing it right now. We learn about in white and Nicole, are you on still? Can you expand a little? Yeah, I'm not sure what you're asking. Read through. <laughs> I don't want to read out of context. Uh, I know I'm supposed to know what I said. I was saying that, that a day's recognition is great, but unless people are taking the lessons and embodying them and making a day into an actual lesson of everyday life, that that day is the meaning behind the day is not is not being you know it's not coming to life like it's not being true so i yeah i, I think there was just maybe a misunderstanding of what was being said or perhaps i didn't articulate it in the way that it would it could be understood mm -hmm. do we want to talk about some of these things that we can do that i found you know yeah sorry I, I had to mute for a second but yes that's what i want us to get into so I think for those of us, like if you're experiencing micro microaggressions, what we can do is speak up and like, and try to get people to realize what they said. But yeah, let's talk about what to do if someone's listening and they're like, holy crap, I didn't realize that I've been doing that to people. Yeah. What should they do with that? How, what can they- I, I can put the link to this article too. It's like a Harvard, a Harvard article. So credible, <laughs> credible. Okay. So some, one of the things I already talked about a little bit about you know, not being defensive, sort of like stopping and taking that, in. not not being defensive, instead calming, calming yourself down and thinking about it a little bit. And then don't make it about you. Don't make it about you. So when you're being called out for a microaggression, it's going to be uncomfortable, but you don't want to get defensive and you don't want to make it about you. Listen to the other person. Listen to what the person who's maybe wants to say something to you at this point in time. And I know it keeps saying called out because that's what it's saying, but that's essentially what it is. When someone wants to have a conversation about something that you had just said to them, that does hurt them, their feelings, like an ouch moment. Listen, listen to why it hurt them. It does say sincerely apologize. Now, I don't want your apology to be surface level and you're just saying sorry to, Sorry, I don't know how y'all feel about that either. Like, I don't want someone saying sorry just to say sorry. I want them to actually mean it. Yeah, like when they say sorry that you're offended, I'm like, more so sorry for what you said, right? So it's yeah. not like, oh, I'm sorry you're hurt. Mm, it's okay. I'm a big girl. But please be sorry for what you just said, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I'd almost rather someone say like, let me think about that before they would say, like if I had to choose between that and a quick I'm sorry, like I'd mm -hmm. rather you walk away thinking about it if, if it is, if that was startling brand new information for you, like that's also fine. Because you don't know what the sorry is. You don't know if they're sorry that they're, they were caught, caught, like, you know, or they were, you know, it just, the sorry comes in so many different ways, unless you're acknowledging it. You know, I'm sorry I said something offensive and that it hurt you or I, I or I acknowledge the fact that that was painful for you. And I apologize for that. Like, there, you, it has to be coming from a place of more than just like, I'm sorry, sorry. that's sorry. It feels like, you know, a kid get caught or something. They're like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, because they don't just want to be in trouble. That's yeah. what that feels like sometimes when it's a surface level one. Not just saying it to say it. Mm -hmm. I was reading an essay by Tim Wise a couple days ago, because he's fantastic and one of my favorite writers. And people should follow him on Facebook if they're not. But he was talking about, I forget which topic it was, but one of the pieces of advice that was included in his essay was that if you feel the urge to say something to defend yourself in, a in an uncomfortable conversation before you, before you say whatever defense it is, make yourself ask another question. So before you come back with your response, force yourself to inquire one step further and see how much that could diffuse a tense situation or help you truly understand somebody. And I really liked that idea of like, so instead of jumping straight to like, no, but that's not what I meant. First asking one more question, like, wait, when, what exactly was it that I said, or in what way was that offensive so that I know? I feel like that would be really game-changing. Right. Oh, here's another one. Okay. Seek to understand on your own time. So mm. please, microaggression, someone calls you out. Don't ask me to teach you about it. <laughs> right? Absolutely. I think that's a hard one for people to digest though. Yeah. I think, I think everyone wants the answer because when you ask them to do the work, then it's just like, who's got the time? 
like I'm being honest here. Like, you know, they no, you're right. will will be like, it's yeah, but it's faster if you just tell me what what I did wrong or why it was wrong. So, but I think that true education does happen on your own terms. So if if you want to be educated about why that was wrong, whether you said it to X, Y, or Z, mm-hmm. then you have to do if you're just wanting your friend to be okay with you then you just ask her why she was offended by it. but understand that that comment could be deeper for someone even someone else and so doing the work actually removed you from being uh, microaggressive towards anyone of that marginalized or or you know a minority community mm-hmm. so that's why the work is necessary because it's not a one person thing it's like a whole thing and i think too i don't know if people would feel this way but like if you used a microaggression against a friend unintentionally it's highly likely that that person isn't ready to end the friendship now right so like don't think that if you said something offensive that you now have to avoid that person or that they're automatically done with you like I think most of us have probably continued to be in relationships with people after they've done something offensive because we know how to move forward like we invite you to do that with us it doesn't have to be over and I'm friend family members sometimes, you know. Just saying. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it depends, yeah, and it really does depend on your history with them too, right? So you, you, yeah. how close of a, of a friend have they been and how, how many times have they shown up for you in every different way? So, or is that person keep on nibbling away at something that you just one day you put it away and then the second time they do it again, you're like, hmm. So it depends on a lot of that relationship too. But uh, I was going to say something, I'd lost my train of thought, but someone else <laughs> when it comes back oh, I say stuff now I think I've become there was a long probably like I'd say in the past like three four years is when I really started to say I'm not listening to this anymore and this is how I feel mm-hmm. I think I wanted this is what I was going to say I think a lot of people think sometimes that you know we're making a big deal about a lot of stuff and we're speaking up too much about it or or that, you know, oh, well, this is offensive or that is offensive or, you know, I don't know what to say or else I'm going to, I don't know what's going to be offensive to somebody or what's going to be hurtful to somebody. So there's some people on the sidelines a lot of times thinking, I don't know why, like everyone is so like, you know, making everything political or, you know what I mean? Like, they, they, like people are, but it's not that we're become more sensitive. It's that we have learned to own our voice unapologetically. Ooh, Ooh. write that down. Another one. <laughs> we are not more sensitive. Yes, we're just like better able to talk about the same stuff that's been bothering us for decades. And and unapologetically, I think we are no longer saying, I'm sorry, but we're not saying that. We're saying, no, that was not cool, nice, or wrong. Like, that is wrong, and I I don't have the space for that anymore. We're a little clappy reaction show. Oh, yeah, there you go. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, a little clap reaction. Yeah, I think that's absolutely, yeah, I'm not, so I, I mean, in growing up, hearing the, like, you're too sensitive, or don't take stuff too seriously, I feel like that's the message to people that experience microaggressions all the time, it's, oh, everything is so PC now, you can't say anything without offending anybody, everything is offensive now, like, no, baby, it was always offensive, mm-hmm. we're just now calling you out on it, because we, collectively, like well, that's what on happened, the other right? end the of it. girl grew up that hit right. fueled her to become the woman who says no more yeah absolutely so that's what you're going to do if you continue taking our children and putting these thoughts or trying because there's i'm telling you there are active teachers and people in roles that i know of there are cases where women have you know been hired in muslim schools non-muslim women but they were like teachers or people and they came into muslim schools and then they started telling at surface level to the children things that were anti-islamic or they were like that so they were like there's actual people who go out and do these types of things too they'll go immerse themselves and then uh, uh, build on that that uh, type of almost like missionary work type of stuff that used to happen in like the native like cultures and with like people like I'm talking going back into prehistory. I'm Canadian so you know that's something that we've dealt with in our Canadian history but things like that what you've done is now you're just because that child will take it in until a point and then when they grow up to be adults and women they say no more and those are the people who will who will uh, march the streets those are the people who will write the pieces those are the people who are going to put out the signs they're going to be the ones say I'm going to show you that I have no space for this anymore. 
So, you know, that, that doesn't go away. It, it builds it build and fuels you. And that's what I think we're coming from. All of us are coming from that. We've been now been fueled by this history of this. And we're saying that we are on these platforms and we're making our, and, we're show, and sharing our voices and our concerns saying that we're willing to educate and, and, and be educated, but also that we're willing to speak up when we see something wrong and we're not going to apologize for it. Sorry, but not sorry. You know, I find myself being very vocal, especially with these next couple of weeks leading up to Pride Month, because I feel like I have to just voice my being an ally for my friends, like, right? So we're going to see this huge influx of public hatred, for lack of better, better terms to say, you know, because Pride Month is coming up, you know, which we're already, we already see public hatred and all these different aspects as well but I feel like from what I've experienced going to different festivals and things like that that it's a little amplified during the month of June towards the LGBTQIA plus community so you know I'm gonna do everything I can you know to to keep voicing that I am an ally and protecting helping to protect my friends but I hope that we get to get to have some people on our conversation and if interested of anyone I would say from the LGBTQIA plus community to come on and you know have some teaching conversations with us in the next couple of weeks I would love to hear. That's a great idea. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to say too to both Kanisha's and Tom Keen's points about mm -hmm. you know on the one hand like this group and lots of other people, we are willing, like if someone has committed microaggressions, we're willing to help you understand and like educate you and help you grow. At the same time, we're not responsible for that. Like you are responsible for your own learning. So don't be surprised if like one day I might feel like helping you on your journey and educating you. And the next day I might not, like I might feel like, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm tired. I've had enough. I've had enough this week. I, I'm just going to live my life and not worry about your personal journey of exploration and growth with regard to matters of DEI. And that's okay. Like, you can't get mad at me if I decide to opt out of teaching you this week because I have done it already and we'll do it in the future. Maybe. <laughs> exactly. And then finding, finding the places that are speaking up those topics and, and, yeah. and listen to those podcasts that are highlighting these new issues like ours and the Unfiltered Mom. Um, yeah. podcast and our show like that we we do every other week or you know we try to is that if nothing else listen listen to people who you don't know or who are not like you so that you can learn and grow as a person and these are great I mean we share our stories and our pain and sometimes we're really triggered by it I know there's times when we walked away even right now like I, I like all those pieces that we kind of file away and we don't even realize how painful they were until until we talk about these issues we realize it brings up to surface so many emotions for us. Like I'm sitting here with a heavy heart feeling too, thinking how many years do we push it aside? And so it triggers us too, but we share them because we're, we're telling everyone who can listen and who is willing to listen that, that these stories are real and this pain is real. And if you can listen and understand at least one thing, if something today you say, you take a step back and you stop yourself for a few seconds before you say it, I think that it's successful then. Like what we're doing is, is, is on the right track because that's what we're trying to say. We're saying, take a minute, take a second, take a few seconds and realize when you're saying something to even your child about the person who, who parked in your parking spot and they're like Asian, what is that comment that comes out of your mouth? You know, what is that thing that you're talking about them? It's like, oh my God, that person took my spot or, oh my God, that, you know, blank, 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 blank took my spot. Mm -hmm. And when that comes up, realize, wait, I've said this, now my child has heard it. Now, the next time that person crosses that street in front of my house, my child is going to say, that same explicit term to that person of that race or that culture identity. So that's what we're saying. Take a second, take a pause and learn from it and, and try to evaluate how you describe people, how you, you know, come up to them. When you want to learn more, how is it that you're approaching them when you're learning more? You know, if you're saying, if you have a minute, can I speak to you? I just wanted to know. And then you ask a question. Great. But if you say, don't mind, I don't take this offensively, but aren't you? And then you know it's coming with something, right? And I'm already defensive. You're going, you've told me already with your language, don't take the defensive. Mm, my defense is up now. So then you ask me your question. If it's an innocent one, great. But if it's not, 
then you need to know that your the reply back will be, and then you can't say, but all people, oh my God, they're so offensive. Oh my God, they're just, you know, you ask them one question, they're all, no, no, honey, you know what your intention was. Your intention wasn't to be educated. Your intention was to push in your micro way. And here's me pushing back in not so subtle way because I've already had a history of it. So I feel like that's probably a good, I know that we have to wrap up. So it's probably good. Like, so Tom, Tom Keen, you said that maybe we each say like what we would want folks to walk away from this conversation with mine would be in a lot of areas I feel like you know what let's discuss let's debate there's room for both of us to change and grow and learn I feel like when it comes to microaggressions I'm not going to take that stance my if someone tells you that something was hurtful and offensive believe them and just accept it accept that what you said or did might have been hurtful and then do some work from there. But I feel like this might be one of those topics that I probably feel like, no, this, I'm not negotiating with you whether or not you did something hurtful. That's, that part is the fact. And so I guess I would just ask people to be willing to believe someone the first time when they said that something was hurtful. I already said mine. I, I mean, that's, yeah, that's one of those things. Like I just, echo everything that's said already like I have a hard I have a hard time like even expressing myself half the time which is why I'm more of a writer that's what I've always said I'm like I write it because I can't my brain's always going especially as a mom right we're always like on all these other things so I have a hard time processing what I actually want to say so it's like where you said Erica like if I tell you that what you said is bothering me just take it don't get defensive just take it in and if it you need to take a second like I usually do with any kind of conversation if you need to take a second to think about it do it I won't be offended I'd rather you do that don't say I'm sorry right away just hear what I'm saying first take it in and then we can have that conversation when we're both ready to have it because more than likely I'm ready to have the conversation yet that's and a great point. Right to, to, to say that I don't want to have this conversation because, mm-hmm. you know, like, I, like we all talked about, we, it does bring up pain for us and it brings up a lot. And so we are in our right to say, can't have this talk right now. You know, let, let's, let's, if, if it's someone close, then let's meet up again. If not, then we are allowed to walk away from something and not be able to do get your closure on your own terms. My closure Ooh. is that I need to remove myself. Ooh, get your closure on your own terms. Ooh, Tom King, you stop it. the club can't even handle you right now Uh, okay i know that we have to we have to wrap i think tumkin you're absolutely right that this could be a part five like sort of topic i think we can talk about this forever i invite anybody like if you're on the rewatch or you're still mulling and thinking use the comments like we check those especially if you tag us so we can see them we can keep the conversation going even if it's past monday at one So, you know, we invite that. I know I just said that, nope, I'm not going to negotiate with you, but like, I will talk, you know, (laughs) I'm not always so spicy. So, but we're grateful for everybody for tuning in or watching back later. And ladies, I appreciate your vulnerability and your willingness to share and to teach and to learn. Thank you. Thank you. Holding space for us. So we'll see everybody in two weeks, I think is the plan. Yes. All right. Yeah. Have a good week, everyone. Bye, everybody.